Lack of profits is never the problem. It's the symptom of not operating on one of the other five Ps. Clients come to me and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem. No, yeah. you have a process problem. <laughs> if, you're, if you're operating on all five Ps, I promise you, you are going to be very profitable. If you're not, you won't. Which is interesting because so many people focus so much energy on profit, right? And like, all right, this is what I'm going after. But if we see it as just a symptom of these other things, it completely changes how we approach the problem. Straight from the boardroom to the microphone, I'm April Garcia, and this is Pivot Me, easily applied tools and hacks to get you ahead. This isn't just a podcast. This is an upgrade for your life. Helping good people become even better. This is Pivot Me. I am pumped about my guest today. She is the renowned expert and delivers so much value. Michelle Seiler Tucker is the founder and CEO of Seiler Tucker Incorporated. She holds the Mergers and Acquisitions Master Intermediary title, as well as the Certified Mergers and Acquisitions Professional and Certified Senior Business Analyst. She is a 20-year veteran in the M&A industry. She's regarded as the leading authority on buying, on selling, and growing businesses. She has several of her own. Her and her firm have sold over a 1,000 businesses and have a remarkable track record of success. She's featured in Inc., Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, USA Magazine, many publications. Michelle is an international keynote speaker and makes regular radio and TV appearances. She has spoken alongside of many prominent speakers. She wrote the book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth. But what I'm most excited about is her upcoming book, Exit Rich. We're going to talk about some of the details from that book right as it's about to release. If you're a business owner, you're going to want to take notes on this. Michelle even talks about the latest uh, sort of this trend reversal that we're seeing before it was, you know, businesses, they fail within the first five years. And sort of if you get past this five-year mark, well, when your chance of success goes up, That age-old truth has changed. Michelle's going to tell us about it. I was blown away to hear this fact. She's going to tell you why the buyer of your business will probably fall through. She's going to give you the number one reason that businesses don't sell and why it's so hard to sell a family business and what you can do about it. We're also going to talk about the six Ps on how to build a sustainable, scalable, and sellable business. Let's get into it. Thank you, Michelle, so much for joining us today at Pivot Me. Thank you, April. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. We are excited. We are very pumped for this interview. So we wanted to ask you some questions about preparing your business for sale um, and tap into some of your amazing expertise. Also learn more about your upcoming book release, Exit Rich, which is coming out very soon. Um, We'll give the links and we're going to talk more about that. But first, Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this type of work to begin with? Sure. So I've always been an entrepreneur, owning many different businesses. Um, I did go to work for Corporate America for a small, short time. I got that three-letter word job. <laughs> um, and then I ended up going into franchise sales, franchise con- uh, franchise consulting, franchise development. It was actual actually a franchise partner um, to many different franchisors. And I found myself, I kept saying, no, 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 because so many buyers kept coming to me, asking me for existing businesses. I'm like, no, we only have startups. We only have startups. 
And then, you know, always believe in law of attraction. So I'm like, why am I saying no, no, no? I should be saying yes, yes, yes. And really that's what led me to start my mergers and acquisitions firm over 20 years ago. And I've personally sold over 500 companies. My firm has sold over a thousand. On average, we get our clients 20 to 40% more, higher selling price. And then very quickly, I also learned that what Steve Forbes says is true. And Steve Forbes endorsed my book, Exit Rich. Steve Forbes says 80% of businesses will not sell. Eight out of 10 companies will not sell. And I started seeing that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if I don't fix these businesses, if I don't grow them, if I don't put them on a build to sell path, I'm going to starve to death. <laughs> so then that's really when I started focusing on buying, selling, fixing, growing. So I buy businesses and flip them. I partner with business owners, investing my capital, my core competencies, my resources, and fix their business, grow their business, and put them on a build-to-sell program. And, you know, really start tweaking those businesses so that they can sell for their desired price tag. So it's, it's my goal to help business owners exit rich instead of exiting poor. Sure. And so let's talk about that because man are the numbers stacked against us business owners. So our audience is mostly business owners. And I think about the amount of businesses that fail within the first five years is staggering. And then even if you get past that, you know, the five-year mark and you think, okay, I made it, you're saying still eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. So talk to us about some of the reasons why businesses don't sell and maybe some of the reasons why businesses do sell. Yes. And then I also want to I want to give you some information because things have changed. So you said a lot of businesses go out of business in the first five years. That used to be the case. That's not the case anymore. Okay. When I wrote my very first book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, I did the research and learned that 95% of all startups would fail within those one to five years. You are absolutely correct. However, that has changed dramatically. When I wrote Exit Rich in 2019, 2020, did the exact same research. I learned that the business landscape has actually flip-flopped. Mm. Now it's only 30% of those startups will go out of business. Only 30%, which is great news for Startup Nation. However, out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business for 10 years or longer. 70% of those businesses will go out of business. 70. It has reversed. You hear about the big public companies all the time in the media. Toys R Us in business 75 years goes out of business. Kmart, Steinmark, Pier 1. Disney stores are closing. Godiva Chocolate's closing down 1,500 locations. GNC's closing down 900 locations. But guess what the media doesn't tell you about? They don't tell you about all the private businesses on every street corner in every town in every state across our great nation. These business owners are going out of business. They're exiting poor. They're selling for pennies on a dollar, closing their business, and even worse, filing bankruptcy. And when you file bankruptcy, most business owners not just lose their business assets, they'll lose their personal assets too, because most business owners commingle assets. So Exit Rich is not just about selling your business. It's actually about building a, a sustainable business that you can scale and you actually have a sellable asset when you're ready. The number one reason that these business owners are going out of business is because of lack of AIM. AIM, always innovate and market. Business owners stop innovating and they stop marketing. They become complacent. Look at, look at Blockbuster. <laughs> Blockbuster had the opportunity to compete with Netflix. In fact, they had an opportunity to purchase Netflix. They did nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, Toys R Us didn't innovate anything in 75 years. So business owners become complacent 
They're married to the original concept and they stop innovating. You're either growing or dying. There is no in-between. Yeah. Oh, so that's that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for that statistic as well, because I, I didn't realize that had flipped. That's so relevant. One thing I want to point out in what you just said too is the goal in running a business is not to just sell a business. The goal is to sell the business at a profit, to your point, exit rich. And so a lot of people think of the goalpost as just selling. You can sell for, to your point, pennies on the dollar. So we need to make sure that we're selling and having an amazing exit plan. So I find that the people that I work with think about selling at the end. They think about selling when a partner has passed, when they're just so fed up with it, they're having health challenges, the market has shifted. That's when they think about selling. I'm curious if you see the same thing. And then how do you address that? So the number one reason that businesses don't sell is what you just said. Business owners don't plan their exit. They don't think about their exit. They don't think about selling until an internal or external catastrophic event has occurred. Internal could be health issues, partner disputes, partner death, divorce, their death. Um, external is this pandemic we've been in for the last year and a half. And trying to sell your business during a catastrophic event in the middle of a catastrophe is the worst time to ever sell your business because you will never maximize value because your business is trending downward, not up. So, you know, we had a sweet little old lady call us from Dallas, Texas a few months ago and said, my husband dropped out of a heart attack, left me with a mountain of debt. Can you sell his business? Well, I, you know, I take everyone through what I call the six P's, which is the infrastructure that I teach all business owners to build their business on. He had no people in his business. He had only subcontractors and all the data was in his head. So when he died, the business died. Sure. So that's one of the number one reasons that businesses don't sell is because business owners don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. What do we do about it? How do we change that? So, well, what, what I do, well, we got to change the mindset, right? It's mindset. A lot of business owners are like, this is my baby. Your <laughs> business is not your baby. Your babies are at home. Go home, kiss your babies, <laughs> hug your babies, love your babies. Treat your business as the most valuable asset that it is and plan your exit from day one of buying or starting the business. So I take all of my clients through the STGPS exit model. So April, what's the first thing that you do when you need when you want to drive somewhere? You take out your Google Maps and you plug in your address, where you're headed. Your address, your destination. Bingo, your destination. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Business owners don't have a destination. Sure. So they're driving around in circles, they're driving up and down the financial hills to end up broke, to end up nowhere. So I always work with my clients and say, listen, figure out your determined price, your desired end game. What do you want to sell your business for? You know, what is your destination? So let's say they want to sell for $20 million. Great. There's a number. April, they always get hung up on a number. I'm like, don't get hung up on a number. Just pick a number. You can tweak it along the way. Yeah. Let's say your destination is $20 million. Now, what does a GPS exit model need to know? Where you're starting mm. from. <laughs> Yeah. Where are you starting from? What is your current location? And in other words, what is your current evaluation? Mm -hmm. Now, this is this is crazy. Most business owners have never had a business evaluation. Mm -hmm. I met with a business owner the other day, been in business 40 years, never had his business evaluated. We go to the doctor once a year to make sure our heart's still ticking and we're still kicking. Sure. We take our car to the mechanic to get an annual tune-up. But your most valuable asset, your business, you yeah. don't get an annual valuation checkup. And this is most people. 
This is most people. That's almost all business mm-hmm. owners. They only think about evaluation when they're ready to sell. When they're ready to sell. Mm-hmm. And that's financial suicide because there are events that increase valuation. There are events that decrease valuation. So you need to know every year what your business is worth. So let's say you want to sell it for $20 million. That's your destination. Your current location valuation, let's say it's worth $5 million. Now, the next thing you need to know is time frame. Mm-hmm. Let's say you want to do this in 10 years. So you want to sell for $20 million, you're worth $5 million, you want to do this in 10 years. Then the next big thing is, who are my buyers going to be? Notice I said buyers, not buyer. Yes. Because clients come to me and say, Michelle, I already have the buyer, you just need to represent me. And I'm like, nope, because <laughs> I can guarantee you the likelihood of that buyer buying your business is slim to none, less than 5%, because something's going to happen in due diligence, the deal's going to fall apart, and you have no backup buyers. Mm-hmm. You never want to put your eggs in all one buyer's basket. Plus, how do we maximize value if we can't create, create competition with a party of one? Yeah, exactly. And it's just like with a house, like you don't go, I'm going to put my house, you put your house on the market. You don't just sell it to a friend because you will get less money when you do that. And it will be a less than ideal situation. And to your point, they're likely to fall out as well. Yes. They always typically always fall out during due diligence. Now, so there's five types of buyers. You need to know which types of buyers are right for your business. 90% 90% of buyers are first-time buyers. They don't buy $20 million companies. Sure. They buy small coffee shops, restaurants, things of that nature. Then you have turnaround specialists. They buy distressed assets. They're not buying $20 million companies. You got PEGs, private equity groups. Private equity groups buy based upon platform and add-on. Platform is, let's say, they want to get into food manufacturing. Mm-hmm. They won't even consider your business unless it has at least $3 million in up in EBITDA. Mm. EBITDA's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. Now, let's say they're already in food manufacturing. They'll consider smaller add-ons like seasoning companies, frozen food companies, things like that, under a million dollars in EBITDA. Okay. The fourth type of buyers, strategics and competitors. They typically pay the highest multiple because they're buying synergies. They're buying synergies. They're going to catapult their business to the next level. Plus, they're taking advantage of economies of scale where they can decrease overhead. Plus, they look at their infrastructure to see what they can decrease. You know, we're working with a company where we're selling a manufacturing business. They have a $5 million distribution center. The manufacturing buyer has distribution all over the U.S. and says, I'm going to cut that $5 million distribution center out like that. Mm. Increasing EBITDA, right? So they will pay the highest multiple. The fifth type of buyer is your serial entrepreneur, your sophisticated entrepreneur, like a Warren Buffett. Mm-hmm. Like a Richard Branson, they chase EBITDA. They're industry agnostic and they chase EBITDA. So once you determine what type of buyers are right for my business, then you need to reverse engineer your plan and figure out, well, where's the numbers got to be? If I want to sell for $20 million, where's my gross need to be? My gross revenues, my COGS, operating expenses, most importantly, where's my EBITDA need to end up at? So if you want to sell for $20 million, your EBITDA is going to have to be between $3 million to $4 million. And you're going to have to have synergies. So then the next thing is, what are these buyers looking for? What are they looking to buy? What's their negotiables? What's their non-negotiables? What synergies are they willing to pay top dollar for? And then you build your business to meet their specific criteria. It's kind of like April when somebody starts a business and they say, here's my widget. Here's my ideal target market. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do everything to build this ideal target market, Right. Mm-hmm. Same thing with selling your business. You're going to build your business and meet their specific criteria. Your bill, business becomes your widget. 
Exactly. It's like your product. It's your business is your product. It's your product, right. Mm -hmm. And then the last step in that model is in in the GPS exit model is what is your why? Mm. Why do you want to sell your business for $20 million? If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Mm -hmm. Your why has to be powerful enough, strong enough to keep you motivated, to keep you in the game, to keep you weathering all the financial storms. Yeah. That's the GPS exit model. Then we take our clients through building the infrastructure on the six P's. Wow. Okay. So I want to talk about the six P's. Let me just, let me just process this. This was amazing, Michelle. And also just the, the tweak of thinking about your business, like your product is so very powerful because to your point, people think of their business as their baby and they only think about giving away that baby, selling that baby when there is some event external, maybe internal, maybe a midlife crisis. There's all sorts of reasons why we've seen people do this. That's not the time to do it. They're, they're definitely um, handicapped at that point. But if you instead begin with the end in mind, because I know for me, so many people sit down and they just want to step on the gas. How do I step on the gas as fast as, they, as I can? And I ask the question, well, where are you going? Let's not focus on stepping on that gas before you know where the hell you're trying to be. So I love this idea of reframing your business as a product. It's just your widget, but also the market you're going to sell it to, you wouldn't just sell it to one market because then you've put all your eggs in one basket. Well, you shouldn't try to appeal to just one type of buyer because again, you're going to limit yourself. So um, I love this concept. And for those listening right now, take notes on exactly how you need to position yourself for selling. Even if you are thinking, well, it's not in, in 12 months, it's not even in 24 months from now, it doesn't matter. And you don't know what the future holds. I can't imagine the amount of people who are trying to sell during the pandemic. That wasn't the time to sell. I mean, that it was a challenging time for people to try to sell and to get top dollar. So Michelle, can you walk us through the next piece of this, the six P's? Absolutely. So I told you the number one reason why businesses don't sell is because business owners don't plan their exit strategy. The number two reason why businesses don't sell is because business owners have created a glorified job and wish they go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. Yes. And a business is a thousand percent dependent upon the owner. Mm-hmm. If the business is dependent upon the owner, in all likelihood, the buyer is not going to buy your business. No one wants to buy your job. No one wants to buy a job. Buyers want to buy a business, not a job. So the first P is people. You don't build a business. You build people and people build the business. Mm -hmm. Problem with entrepreneurs is they get stuck in the day-to-day. So they're working in their business instead of working on their business. And they feel like if you want it done right, you have to do it yourself. Hmm. Well, that can't be further from the truth, number one. Number two, you will never grow unless you let go of the control. Mm. You will never grow unless you let go of the control. So you have to put the right people in the right seats. And you have to ask the who question. Mm -hmm. Who opens the doors? Who handles customer service, marketing, legal, accounting, manufacturing, logistics, quality control, environmental, the list goes on and on. The clue here, April, is you should never be next to the who. You want the business to run without you. I have a dentist that came in and wants to sell, been in business 50 years. One dentist, three dental hygienists. They're all his daughters. (laughs) And I told him, I said, I can sell your business, but we're not going to be able to maximize value because you really have a job, not a business. Mm -hmm. And the offer, the purchase price is going to be structured with contingencies based upon clawbacks, earnouts, et cetera, that are going to be contingent upon you and your daughter staying. And he goes, well, honey, 
I'm not staying. I said, well, honey, you're not selling. Because <laughs> yeah. the minute you and your daughters leave, the patients leave. Yeah, And this you is a problem with like the sell. husband and wife teams too, right? I imagine it's this the same husband situation. And wife's team. This mm-hmm. is all kind of, look, we have a business right now that we're selling between uh, 60 to $70 million. They have 300 employees, been in business since 1998. But even with the 300 employees, that business will not operate without the owner. Mm. The owner has the key relationships. The owner has all the data in his head. And every buyer's like, we're not going to buy 100%. We'll buy 70%, 80%, something like that. So it just doesn't happen in small businesses. Mm-hmm. It happens in middle market too. So mm-hmm. you got to make sure you hire the right people in the right seat. And entrepreneurs, focus on your strengths, hire your weaknesses, mm-hmm. answer the who question, mm-hmm. get, your la- get your layers of management in there because you're not going to sell a $20 million company without a COO Without a CFO, you've got to have that layer of management in there. You are the entrepreneur. You are the visionary. You should be working on the business. You should have an integrator that can integrate your vision, your ideas to all the different departments below you. And that's, can you talk about, before we get into the rest of the 15 piece, because this is so important, Talk about how you let go, because this is something that you see over and over again. And the problem is, is as the business becomes more successful, it was a $1 million business and it became a 5 million and then it became a $15 million business. That's great. That entrepreneur who's running that business is probably attributing all that success to them. And yes, we are the ones that stand it up to begin with, but then there comes this point where it needs to not be you. How... How have you seen people do that successfully? Because that is a huge struggle for the business owner. It is a huge struggle for the business owner. And, you know, it is. And again, it's a mindset thing, right? It's mm-hmm. a mindset issue. And they, they, you're just going to have to change your mindset. You've, you've got to make sure that you're confident, that you put the right team in place sure. to take your business to the next level. And you need to hire people smarter than you. Mm-hmm. You know, some, some of the best entrepreneurs in the world hire people smarter than them. And then you're going to have to, let go of the control, but you know, don't completely let go. I mean, you can still trust, but verify, inspect what you expect, you know, but you have to let go and have the confidence and empower them to do the right thing and grow your legacy. Now you don't have to step completely out. You can still work on the business. You can still come up with brilliant ideas, you know? Um, But as far as the problem with entrepreneurs is they just want to have their hand in every pot. You can't do that. You're never going to be able to do that and really be able to scale. Mm-hmm. And and it also, when you have great team, when you do that, you're also disempowering them because you hire great people. I think it was the Steve Jobs quote, like you don't hire great people and tell them what to do. You hire great people and let them tell you what to do. I'm paraphrasing perhaps. But when you hire great people and then you're all over them, it disempowers them. You hire great people because they're supposed to know what to do. Now you set the objectives, you can set the larger vision, but then they've got to forge the path. Well, you know, Steve Jobs might've said that, but he did tell everybody what to do. (laughs) Go watch his movie. (laughs) But it's true, you hire great people and they should be telling you what needs to be done. And, you know, you should be trusting that. Obviously, you know, I always say, don't completely take your eyes off the wheel you know, always trust, but verify, always inspect what you expect, but you got to trust the people you put in those positions because otherwise you're right. I mean, they're not going to continue to operate at the level that they're capable of because you're not giving them the empowerment. You're not empowering them to do so. Yeah. So it sounds like the very first thing you have to do in that your position. So if you're listening and you're like, 
Yeah, but I'm just thinking of a manufacturer that I work with in British Columbia and he um, he's got his fingers in all the pies. The problem is like, well, if I take, if I put my hands off, it's all going to fall apart. Okay, well, then you have to build a structure where that's not the case. But it sounds like the very first step in all of this is you have to accept that you have become the bottleneck in your business. You have to accept that truth. And then you can go about solving that. But first we have to stand on the truth of I've become the bottleneck. How do I solve that? Yeah, I always say fish drinks from the head. (laughs) Fish drinks from the head. I've never heard that before. The owner. They are the bottleneck. They are the bottleneck. Fish drinks from the head. And um, I always also say, because I partner with a lot of business owners, we will never grow the business beyond what we can grow the owner. Yes. So, and I've seen it time and time and time again with the owners that I partner with. That is so good. That is so good. Your success begins and ends with you first. If things are struggling, you need to reflect on what you're doing in your business, the energy that you're bringing, the organization you're bringing, the infrastructure that you're either, um, you're creating or allowing to happen. It's got to start with you. So, okay, let's go back to our, our, our six P's. Okay. So the second P is product. Product is your product, your service, your industry. Remember how I talked about 70% of businesses are going out of business after being in business 10 years Mm -hmm. because they stop aim, they stop innovating and marketing. So product is huge. You have to ask yourself, is your product, your industry, and your service on the way up or on the way out? Mm. Is it thriving or dying? Do you have an Amazon or do you have a Blockbuster? And if you have an Amazon, great. Now's the time to sell. You sell when your business is in its prime because businesses go through life cycles just like humans do. Nothing lasts forever. If you have a blockbuster, that doesn't mean that you just go home, curl up into a fetal position and die. (laughs) That means it's time to pivot. So I always tell my clients, ask yourself these three transformational questions. Amazon did this back in the 90s. Amazon asked themselves, what business are we in? And all of your listeners should be asking themselves, what business are we in? Amazon said, we're in a fulfillment business. We fulfill book orders. We sell books. Number two. What is your core competency? What do you do better than everybody else? What is your USP, your unique selling proposition? Amazon said we do fulfillment better than anyone else, than everyone else. The third obvious question, what business should we be in? Amazon said we should be in the fulfillment business, fulfilling products for everyone all around the world, not just for authors. Mm. Those three transformational questions transformed Amazon from a small book fulfillment center to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. Wow. Can you imagine if they had never asked that question? Can you imagine? Can you imagine when Steve Jobs came back to Apple and he asked the question, what business are we in? What do we do better than everybody else? What business should we be in? Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This, these questions are so important. Yeah. And that, that was it. Did you ever watch the movie, The Founder, based upon the McDonald's brothers and Ray Kroc? Um, I, so I've read about him numerous times, but I don't think I've re- watched the movie. I'm got to watch the movie, The Founder. Okay. Yeah. There was the same line of questions and questioning in that movie. Mm-hmm. And if that never happened, Ray Kroc would have never been able to blow up McDonald's like he did. And you look at his product, right? 
what he does better than anyone else was not make a hamburger. And I've heard the whole idea that he's really in the real estate business and stuff. It's a fascinating story, but um, yeah. Well, that's because he was in the bank. You got to watch the movie, but he was in the bank trying to borrow money. He was over leveraged and he put up his house for collateral, commingling his assets. Mm -hmm. And the bank said, no, we're not going to give you any more money. This gentleman follows him out of the bank and he says, what business are you in? And Ray's like, I'm in a restaurant business. He goes, no, what business are you in? And Ray's like, what are you talking? talking about. He says, you need to be in the real estate business Yes, because you need to be buying the land. You need to build the buildings. You need to lease it to the franchisees. The franchisees are not compliant. Then you avoid their contract. You put another franchise in there Mm -hmm. because he did that. And he started McDonald's realty. He was able to gain so much real estate and he was able to pretty much take McDonald's from the McDonald's brothers because of that. And that's why McDonald's is the largest real estate holding company in the world. Yeah. They're on the most important corners all throughout the world. Yeah. And it's funny because people will say, "What? what, look at their hamburger. What do they have that we don't have? And I'm like, oh, he's got something else. He would have never figured that out if it wasn't for that other gentleman in the bank who asked him that question. That's why mentorship is so important. It is. You know, you got to have mentors because I always say it's hard to read a label from the inside of the bottle. You have outsider's perspective to read the warning signs and keep you out of the danger zone. Mentors are absolutely huge. Absolutely huge. And also being open to it. The fact that Ray was open to receive that information because it's easy to think we know best. We, well, I don't want my business better than anybody else does. Well, you're on the inside of the bottle to use your phrase. Absolutely. I have an awesome opportunity I need to tell you about. This is a chance to get into our new coaching program, but at a discounted rate. If you are ready for more, would love to join a mastermind, attend an event, have real measurable growth, but struggle to make the time, you know you've got more, but you don't want to just work more. Let me tell you this growth doesn't only happen at conference rooms. It can happen right at your computer or on your phone. Look, if you're someone who wants coaching, actively reaching for that next level of success and wants what's in the Pivot Me Mastermind, but need to do it at your own time, but we've created just the thing for you. Pivot Me Virtual Coaching. I will deliver one video and worksheet each week to your inbox. And I'm gonna cover a lesson from the six pillars of the Pivot Me Academy. Things like killer productivity, high performance habits, business and success strategies. You need to be in this. We created self-paced growth that is still tied to a weekly coaching program. You can literally go through the whole Pivot Me Academy just one lesson at a time for a fraction of the investment. But it's not just about being inspired. It's about taking action that's going to change your life and change your business. We've made it crazy simple and easy to execute. And for now, you can join our beta group at the discounted rate of only $27 a month before our formal launch. Join us at pivot-me.com backslash coaching before the launch, and we'll get you into the beta group. If you want to go further, faster, grow your business and get out of your own way, the answer isn't working more, but I know what is join us today. So the next P is processes. 
So processes are kind of like exit strategy. Business owners don't think about them until something bad happens in their business and like, oh, we need a process for that. (laughs) (laughs) So you need to start your processes from day one of starting or buying a business. Processes are ongoing. You know, you want to keep your process manual, your policy and procedure manuals open and add processes as things come up. But here's where most business owners get this wrong. Most business owners design processes around their own agenda. Most chiropractors. We're open Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 9 to 12. Then we come back from 3 to 5. We're open Tuesday morning, Thursday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Is are, are those processes designed around the patient's experience or is it designed around the doctor's lifestyle? Sure. Doctor's lifestyle. Doctor's lifestyle. So have you ever had a terrible experience with a bank, a social media company, you know, um, retail company? And you've been trying to get your problem handled. How many times do you have to push this number to talk to this person? Push this number. You talk to someone, you tell them all your problems. Oh, let me transfer you. (laughs) You get transferred five or six times. And by the time you get to the sixth person, you're like hot, you know? Yeah. And so their processes are not designed around the customer experience. This is where most people get this wrong. This is why they lose market share. So all business owners need to stop and think, what do they want their customers to experience? McDonald's, I'm going to go back to the founder. McDonald's, back in the 1940s and 1950s, they said, we're going to start a fast food restaurant. We want a fast food system. Processes designed around the customer experience. We want the customers to experience great tasting food that's hot and fast. Mm -hmm. They developed processes around the customer experience back in the 50s. Even though they've been tweaked along the way, you can eat at McDonald's anywhere in the road and get the same experience. Mm-hmm. They can also fire someone and have somebody work in that, you know, drive-through or the front or the front counter within thirty minutes because they're SOP checklist. So here's the bottom line: you got to start asking your clients, "What do you want? What do you need? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us?" Those who make it easier for consumers to purchase products and services is the company that's winning. Amazon is winning mm-hmm. because Amazon makes it so easy to practically buy anything and have it delivered to your house in two days. You can practically sure. buy a horse on Amazon. Yep. So you, so we got to go back to the bases and start asking our clients, what do you want? What do you need? How can I make your life easier? We got to create wow experiences for our clients. Mm-hmm. We got to create raving fans. If we don't, your competitors will be happy to do it for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we do design it around what we think our conveniences and what we think. And we don't stop to say, because the other thing about having the hamburger fast, what about when people are on their lunch breaks? They need something really fast and you could design it around, okay, they're going to have a short amount of time. So I want to make sure that I'm delivering it in this, in this speed. I have a friend, Jillian Floodstrom that always says, if you make your, your, your clients burn calories, they'll go somewhere else. I love <laughs> exactly. that concept. Make it easy for them. Make it easy. And and see, back then in the 40s and 50s, the reason McDonald's came up with that is because they had the drive-thru restaurants. Mm-hmm. It took 30 minutes to an hour to get lunch, mm-hmm. you know, and the food was always cold and the order was always wrong. Yeah. So again, go back to what is your customer's experience and don't assume that you know. You know, don't assume that you know what they want. Ask mm-hmm. them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Survey them, engage with yeah. them. Yeah, sure. But design your process around the customer experience to create raving fans. Make sure they're productive and efficient because processes will make or break your company. Mm, they yes. need to be well papered. 
You need the policy and procedure manuals and the SOP checklist and employee handbooks and non-competes and the contracts. Because when a buyer goes to look at your $20 million business, mm-hmm. that's one of the first things they're going to look at. Mm-hmm. And Michelle, let, let me just point something out. A lot of companies will think that SOPs are something for larger businesses. They think, oh, we don't really need to work on SOPs until we're like 50 million. No, 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 no. Your $5 million company still needs processes. It, and if everything lives in your head, it is not replicatable. Like your team can't go and execute on that. You will get sick. You will have to be out of the office. So I really want to emphasize processes is not just a big organization. Processes is for a small restaurant. It's for a small coffee shop. It's for any business. Every business has to have processes. Mm -hmm. And the biggest reason that businesses don't sell is because the data is in the owner's head Mm. and the data is not on paper. The data has to get out of the owner's head onto paper. I just wish I could take a flash drive and stick it in the owner's head and download it because, I mean, we're trying to sell a fabrication company right now. Two owners, been in business for 40 years. They got employees, but all the data is in their head. They're like, Michelle, we can fabricate anything for anybody, anytime. I'm like, you can, but nobody else can. (laughs) Oh, Michelle, I I consulted a company that was, they were between probably about 50 and 60 million in revenue. And we sat down and we've, okay, well, first let's take a look at your CRM. They're like, yeah, we, we don't have a CRM. I was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. What what are you guys using? Le- legitimately, they had a Rolodex still. And I was like, the 1990s called and they want their contacts back. Um, you have to have a CRM. You have to have a database. You have to have these things. They cannot live in, well, Steve's got all the manufacturing contacts and so-and-so has all the distribution contacts. This is not a sellable model and it's not a scalable model. And if you are scaling, it's incremental compared to what you could do if you had these processes in place. Right. Absolutely. We were selling a distribution company and same thing. Everything was on Rolodexes. They had no computers. They did inventory by hand and they had hundreds and hundreds of Rolodexes because they had thousands of clients. And I'm like, heaven forbid there's a fire because yes. your whole business is going to go up. How big was the place. company that was still? Um, we sold it for about two to three million. We actually decreased. Actually, the value had to decrease because um, the buyer had to come in and reorganize the business and mm. add the systems and add the CRM and add the inventory system. So they actually decreased the value um, because of that. Um, so then the next piece, let me give you a quick cra- uh, crash course on evaluations. So businesses that have less than a million dollars in EBITDA will typically trade from anywhere from one to three, three and a half mm-hmm. times EBITDA, depending upon their synergies. Now, most businesses trade a multiple of EBITDA. SaaS trades a multiple of revenues, okay? okay? But that's the only industry. So I have all kinds of industries coming to me and saying, I can get a multiple of revenue. I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> that's SaaS companies. So over a million dollars in EBITDA, then they typically trade for five and up. The fourth P is proprietary assets, proprietary synergies. Proprietary synergies can take you from a five to six to an eight to a 10. Mm-hmm. So you really want to pay attention here. Mm. Proprietary assets are six pillars to proprietary. This is the number one value driver of all the P's. It's the highest value driver. Wow. Number one is branding. Mm. The more well-branded your company is, the more I can sell it for, as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumers. Mm-hmm. Is anybody paying any money for Blockbuster? No. What's the most valuable brand in the world? I would think Coke, McDonald's. Coke is in the top 10. McDonald's is in the top 10, not the Disney? most valuable. Nope. 
Top 10. Apple? Apple, $359 billion. Just for the brand. For the brand. For the brand. This isn't for a product. This is yeah, for the brand. That's not including the assets, the inventory, the real estate, the accounts receivables. That's just the brand alone. Mm. Build your brand, build your exit so you can exit rich. Trademarks are huge. Trademark your name, your com- your slogan, your logo, your podcast, anything yes. that's unique to you. And people skip that. That's not a big business thing. The Pivot Me is branded, multiplying, and it takes a while. It takes a good year plus sometimes to, to um, trademark these things. That's not a big business thing. Even smaller businesses should trademark. All small businesses should trademark. Here's the problem. Here's the biggest mistake business owners make. When I start a business, I go to GoDaddy. Oh, <laughs> they God. come up with a name. Like, yes, I got the I dot got com. So I got catchy. it. And then they go to their state, you know, and then they get a trademark in their state, but then they never check the federal database. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Make sure that name's available. So I've seen business owners be in business 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, receive a system assist letter in the mail. They have to stop using that company name. Yes. Yes, they can have an attorney. Yes, they can throw money at it. Yes. But they're going to lose and they're going to have to start the rebranding process all over again. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that you were using it. It matters whether right. you federally, tr- federally trademarked it. You got to get a federal trademark. You got to get a mm-hmm. federal trademark on all of your, like I said, your names, like I trademarked the XT6Ps, the STGPS exit model. Mm-hmm. Trademark your USPs, anything that's unique to you. Also products. People forget about this. You can try get federal trademarks on products. We're selling a company right now between 50 to 60 million and they have 12 different products. Each product has a federal trademark. Each product has exclusivity to each retail chain store. So they have a product in Walmart. They have one in Target. They have one in TJ Maxx. Mm-hmm. Strategists will pay a lot of money for that. Sure. Also patents. If you've ever walked Shark Tank, you always hear the sharks ask, do you have a patent on that? Do you have a patent pending? Do you have a utility patent? Patents, their offers are always contingent upon you proving you have a patent. Mm -hmm. We once sold a company for $18 million that wasn't making much money, but they had 18 patents. Contracts are huge. Manufacturing contracts, distribution, vendor contracts, franchisor contracts that has franchisees. And client contracts, especially if they have a subscription model with reoccurring revenue. Can I just add to that? But but don't only have one or two client contracts. We I work with a distribution company, and I won't say their name, but all of their business was wrapped up in AT and T. About seventy percent of their business. Well, we're going to talk about that under Patreon. Okay, all right, there we go. You're coming up on it. That's customer concentration. Okay, good. We're going to talk about that. So. So contracts are really, really important, especially if you have exclusivity mm-hmm. and buyers will pay a lot more money for those client contracts. Here's the biggest mistake business owners make. I've been doing this 20 years, thousands of transactions. I have never, ever seen a business owner get this right. You have to have the transferability clause in your contract that says this contract is transferable upon a new entity because 98% of all sales are asset sales, not stock sales. Mm. If your buyer does not agree to a stock sale or your clients don't agree to to a consent to transfer, then your deal can, can fall dead in its tracks. Sure. I'll give you a quick example. M&A firm, uh, M&A franchise sold years and years and years ago to a private equity group. They have 1,500 franchisees. Due diligence team, did, you know, legal team did their due diligence. They closed on the sale of the business. Then I started reading through the contracts and realized that none of them were transferable. <laughs> so then they decided to throw this huge party, 
pay for travel, pay for lodging for the franchisee and their family, cost them a fortune. Mm -hmm. The franchisees didn't like the private equity group. They thought they were arrogant and had zero experience. Mm. So only one franchisee signed a consent to transfer. The rest, $1,499, $1,499 never transferred. They were filed bankruptcy within 90 to 120 days and sued their entire legal team. So be proactive. Go put that transferability clause in your contracts. I'm going to move on to databases. You mentioned databases earlier, databases, CRM. Databases are huge, especially if you're nurturing your clients and they can be retargeted and repurposed. Strategics will pay a lot of money for that. Um, Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging. But they had a synergy that Facebook was going to pay for that a billion users. Wow. And Facebook knew they could monetize an ROI off those billion users. Same thing when they bought Instagram. Instagram had a half a million, a half a billion users. So synergies, what we're talking about right now is synergies. Mm-hmm. Celebrity endorsements, huge. We got, we got a client right now that's approved by Oprah and endorsed by Oprah. Strategists will pay a lot of money for that endorsement because they want to get their products in front of Oprah. So celebrity endorsements, radio personalities, you know, they can only endorse one vertical at a time. Otherwise, they lose credibility. Mm-hmm. You don't see Jennifer Aniston's face on any other skincare line except for Aveeno. You don't see Sidney Crawford represent any other furniture company except for Rooms to Go. Mm-hmm. So these celebrity endorsements are huge, especially radio personalities, because that time slot is owned by that skincare company. Mm-hmm. And you cannot bounce them off of that time slot. It's prime real estate unless they stop their contract, unless they stop paying. So that's prime real estate. Same thing with my e-commerce businesses. My e-commerce businesses, when I have niches and, you know, let's say they're selling pillows on on, um, Wayfair and they have the top three positions on selling bedding. Mm -hmm. So any of those top positions on Wayfair, Amazon, Etsy, um, eBay, is huge. Strategists will pay a lot of money for those top positions. These are proprietary synergies that will take your multiples from five, like I said, to eight, nine, and 10. Sure. Yeah. And that's then powerful. The, the, the Facebook and WhatsApp story alone, if ever you're wondering the power of these things, that's a great example of why you need to be cognizant of this piece. The power of synergies. Yeah. And so the next P is patrons, and you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier with what you said, uh, most businesses follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of their clients. Mm-hmm. A lot of business owners have customer concentration and that is really dangerous. Yes. <laughs> you know, we were selling a, a media company that have five clients. We're selling between 10 to 15 million. And during the process, they lost two of their five clients. The reason they only have five clients is because they cater to casinos. Okay. So they have five of the biggest casinos, but they lost two during the process, so the revenues dropped, their EBITDA dropped, and they were no longer sellable. Mm-hmm. We ended up having the merger with another company. We had another business we were selling. It had 65 to 70% of the revenue tied up in BP. It was an oil manufacturing business in the BP contracts. We appraised it for $9.8 million. We have 550 buyers. We narrowed it down to 12 LOIs, but all the LOIs had a contingencies and clawbacks to mitigate the buyer's risk in case you know, BP, in case they didn't have the BP contract anymore. Because if they lose a BP contract, they lose 65 to 70% of the revenue. So the owner's like, well, I'm not going to agree to any of that. 
So we were fortunate enough to find a strategic that has similar products and services that have been trying to get in BP for decades and could never get their feet in the door. Ah. So they said, oh, we don't care about customer concentration. We just want to get <laughs> our products in there. Sure. So they said, we're going to outbid everybody else. So they paid $15 million for a company that appraised for 9.8. They paid $15 million for 70%. That's 126% more than the appraised value of the business. Wow. So we can still sell your company if you have customer concentration, but it's very difficult because buyers are very nervous and they're going to have contingencies in place to mitigate their risk. Sure. So the last P, the most important P to all entrepreneurs is profits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody's like, Michelle, why do you put profits last? And here's, here's why. Lack of profits is never the problem. Lack of profits is never the problem. It's the symptom I'm not operating on one of the other five P's. Clients come to me and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem. No, yeah. you have a process problem. If you're, if you're operating on all five P's, I promise you, you are going to be very profitable. If you're not, you won't. Which is interesting because so many people focus so much energy on profit, right? And like, all right, this is what I'm going after. But if we see it as just a symptom of these other things, it completely changes how we approach the problem. Yep. It's a symptom of, you know, there's so many, there's, what is it? One in five businesses get embezzled every year. There's billions and billions and billions of dollars that get stolen from small business owners. And, you know, you're going to, and one of the biggest reasons for that is because business owners in their processes, they put somebody in charge, but they don't have any checks and balances. They trust, but they don't verify. They, they expect, but they don't inspect. And then they get embezzled. You know, you're not going to be very profitable if you get embezzled. (laughs) Sure, sure. So you really got to focus on these five, these five P's, because if you do, you'll be profitable. Yeah. If you don't, you won't. So Michelle, you've got a new book coming out, Exit Rich. Can you talk to us about, is is this the kind of stuff that you're covering in there? Is there some additional information you can give us about Exit Rich? And let us know when, when that's coming out as well. Absolutely. So Exit Rich, you know, Exit Rich is... I think people get this wrong because Exit Rich is not just about selling your business mm-hmm. because 80% of your business, 80% of the businesses are not sellable. So Exit Rich is all about building a business that is sustainable, that can run without you, that you can scale. And when you're ready, you will actually have a sellable asset to sell. Mm-hmm. So Exit Rich was endorsed by Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes says Exit Rich is a go mine. Entrepreneurs leave so much money on the table when they go to sell their business. Mm-hmm. Sharon Lecter is my co-author who wrote Rich Job Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. Yes. She's a New York Times bestselling author five times. We're trying to make her number six with Exit Rich. And she um, is also a CPA, financial literacy expert, the advisor to many different presidents. And she writes the mentor's corner after each one of my chapters. Plus her husband is an intellectual property attorney. So he adds content to the proprietary chapter. And then Kevin Harrington, the original Shark on Shark Tank, wrote the foreword. Plus we have endorsements from Les Brown, Brian Tracy, Jack Canfield, Brad Sugars from Action Coach, uh, Tom Hopkins, you know, Mark Victor Hansen. All my so, favorites. Exit Rich is all about, we've probably talked about six chapters in the book. The rest is all about seller sanity check, when you should sell, how you should get your mindset ready, different exercises you should do to determine if this is the right time for you to sell. And then it goes into the six P's and great death. But then the second half of the book is all about evaluations, 
normalizing financials, the five types of buyers, not negotiables, non-negotiables, negotiating offers, due diligence, closing, et cetera. And there's also um, content in there about if you're not ready to sell, this is how you build to sell. Yeah. And so it comes out June 22nd, but you don't have to wait till June 22nd. You can go to exitrichbook.com. And for $24.79, which is less than Amazon, we will email you the digital download immediately. Let me give you a quick case study. We have an owner that um, bought the book. He printed out the digital download and he's using it as a workbook. And he's taking all the concepts, strategies, and techniques, integrating it into his business plan and his exit strategy. And he said, Michelle, this is the best business book I've ever read. There's so much content in here that I never knew. Mm-hmm. And he's hiring me to, to, to help him build his business that we're going to sell between 30 to $50 million. So you can use it as a workbook. So we'll email you the digital download. We'll ship the hardcover to your doorstep to anyone that lives inside the United States for no additional shipping. Plus, we will give you a lifetime membership into Exit Rich Book Club. Exit Rich Book Club is video content where I do deep dives in these different techniques and strategies plus documents, documents to run your business, documents to sell your business, sample mm-hmm. employee handbooks, org charts, policy and procedure manuals, sample letter of intent, sample purchase agreements, due diligence checklists, closing docs. All the documents you need to operate and sell your business are there for you to review and download. If you went to your attorney to try to recreate, it'll cost you thousands upon thousands, thousands. of dollars. And so it's all there. All I ask is that you take my name off when you go to use the form. <laughs> I had a lady, I had a lady email me yesterday. She goes, can I use this? I go, yes. If you remove Solid Tucker, you can use it. She goes, oh. <laughs> and so then we also will give you a 30 day free membership into club CEOs, which is an entrepreneurship mastermind mm-hmm. that um, I founded where we ask those transformational questions. So we help business owners pivot mm-hmm. and build that sustainable, scalable and sellable business. So they too can exit rich all for $24 and 79 cents at exit rich book club. That's amazing. That's amazing. So we're going to put that link in the show notes as well. Incredibly valuable to your point. I mean, I've, I've paid for these through my lawyers years ago. Those yeah. cost thousands, if not tens of thousands to get all those documents. I would say I'm at 40 to $50,000. Yeah. Documents. Yeah. yeah. It's a huge commitment. And the fact that this is all part of it is amazing. So it, it, in regards to the book, if you're listening and you own a business, Now, let me clarify. I'm not saying, and you want to sell. If you just own a business, then you need this book to prepare for that eventuality. Again, we prepare before we're ready to buy. If you're you're looking to sell it, for sure, go buy it immediately. But even if you just own a business, you need this book to help you increase your multiples, to uh, get the value that you really are capable of getting and not sabotage your success in this regard. Michelle, I want to ask you one other question, but before I do that, where is the best place for people to connect with you and get more of your information? So obviously they can go to exitrichbook.com. My stuff is there, but my main website is silertucker.com. Mm-hmm. And then they can follow me on Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I'm everywhere. Perfect. And we'll put all those links in the show notes. So here is uh, my last question for you, Michelle. If you could tell the world one thing, what would it be? Your network equals your net worth. Relationship capital is everything. Wow. That is powerful. 
Thank you so much for your time and the information that you provided today. It was invaluable. And I have no doubt that many pivoters who are listening right now will increase their multiples, will probably engage, hopefully with you, with your company directly to get the value that they really, that's really available to them. They just need to know how to do it. Yep, absolutely. And Active Rich again is all about also making sure you don't go out of business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> making sure you don't become part of the 70%. You sure. Know? All the, about staying in business. The deck <laughs> is stacked against you. So make sure you get the right guidance. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you, awesome. April. It was Thank a pleasure you. being on your show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks again, Michelle. You'll never grow if you can't let go. That is some sage advice for us business owners because a lot of times our business does become our baby. I love when she said, now your babies are at home, your business is just a product. In fact, her her kind of perspective on seeing your business as a product is really is really profound because when you think about your your business as a product then you think about okay well we want it to be relevant and saleable and appeal to a much larger market of buyers it is a very different way um, to look at your business but incredibly helpful I also like her her comment about inspect what you expect it's so uh, it's such a simple and easy reminder on looking at the things, the pieces of our business and make sure that they are headed in the right direction. You know, when she said, what is there, 26, 27.6 million companies. And after the 10-year mark, 70% of those businesses will will go out of business. When we know, we know the examples, the Pirouette Imports, the Kmarts, the Blockbusters of the world. Some of them simply don't innovate, but there's a lot of reasons those businesses go out of business and it, and it pays to set our business up so they're not one of those names. I also loved when Michelle talked about, we will never grow the business beyond what we can grow the owner. Um, it's just a good reminder that our businesses are handicapped by us. When our businesses are small, we're all, oftentimes like the impetus. We're we're the thing that's driving it along. But then you get to a certain point, and often it's the owner that handicaps the business. Often it's the owner that becomes the bottleneck of the business. Yeah, you may have been responsible for its initial growth, but once it gets to a certain point, you will also be responsible for its constraints. Recap on those six Ps that she gave us, the people, product, process, proprietary, patrons, and profit. As business owners, we're often taught that look at the profit. High profit businesses is really what success. That's when you're winning. But really, Michelle points out profit is just a symptom of the other Ps. Handle those first five Ps and you'll get your profit. Her insight on the transferability clause was everything. If you heard nothing else in this interview, make sure you heard the piece about putting that clause in all your contracts. Again, if you have plans, even if you don't have plans to sell your business, you're simply just scaling it. Make sure that you are scaling it to sell. Oftentimes we don't sell our business when we want to sell our business. It's these these events that occur, the catastrophic events, the unplanned events that can force us into selling our business. And that's not the best time to sell a business. So if you've got a business, you've got to follow Michelle's plans. Go get her book. It's invaluable. All those bonuses that she offered, indeed, you're going to pay thousands, if not tens of thousands at the lawyer's office to get those same documents. So make sure you take advantage of all the things that Michelle has offered. It's so easy to think that success, success in anything, success in your business, the sale of your business, success in a whole 
It can feel kind of like alchemy at times, but really there are very predictable formulas. There is a path to success. Tony Robbins says success leaves clues. It is on us to find those clues, to find those experts like Michelle and listen to their advice. She's been through it. She knows how this works. She can see things in our business that we are too close to see. Go grab her book. Let me know what you think. Make it a great day. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.